Before we start this show, just a word from our sponsor. 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest that pro wrestling has had to offer. Along with their awesome line of pro wrestling apparel, they do offer many services. In the world of wrestling, there are hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads. Don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. If you would like to discuss possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or whatever, drop them a line. Go to 20 by 20 apparel. That's the number 20 X, the number 20 apparel.com. Now let's get to the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bum me, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yell about it though. You see me shining like a suit on puppy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kids, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And on Fresh of the Word, we like to deliver wisdom through great stories from the minds of bright creatives of pop culture. Through those stories, we like to dissect the journey of our guests and present actionable lessons and advice for our listeners, no matter what career or avenue of artistry they pursue. And before we get into this episode, I want to give a shout out to Knox Money, Bang Belushi, and Foul Mouth for the theme music for Fresh of the Word. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can always go to freshofthepodcast.com and just share any of the links for any of the episodes on any of your social media platforms. And also, you can subscribe to Fresh of the Word pretty much anywhere that podcasts are streamed. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, pretty much everywhere. And please, rate and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It will definitely help out the show. If you want to contact me, you can always reach me by email at djkfresh at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at kfresh is the word and on facebook at facebook.com slash kfresh and you can also follow fresh is the word on twitter at fresh is the word and that's is with iz instagram at fresh is the word podcast and facebook at facebook.com slash fresh is the podcast and this is episode 140 and this episode's guest is comic book artist and creator of carnal confessions sora sung Currently, Sung is running an already highly successful Kickstarter 
for carnal confessions, an illustrated prose project that she originally offered up for free online at carnalconfessions.com. But now she's making it available in print with all sorts of goodies. During our conversation, we talked about how Carnal Confessions came to be and her inspirations behind the characters, her creative beginnings, her audience, how personal relationships affected her projects, and much, much more. And before we get into this interview with Sora Song, I just want to remind you that if you go to patreon.com slash fresh is the word, you can help me out a lot by pledging a little bit of pocket change each month to help with the costs of doing this podcast. As little as a dollar, you can help each month. And if you pledge $3, you can help me out more and you'll get all sorts of digital goodies including the Patreon-only podcast episodes of interviews from my vaults. So that's patreon.com slash fresh is the word. All right, let's get on to the interview with Sora Sung. Yeah, I first came about your work. It just kind of popped up somewhere. Um, I guess people retweeting or sharing your work. Um, You seem to be very uh, popular. Right now you do have a, a Kickstarter going on for Carnal Confessions, and it's going very, very well. Uh, kind of talk about uh, this uh, this title and what you're doing with the Kickstarter. Um, well, Carnal Confessions is a story that I've been brewing around in my head since I was probably about 19, so it's been quite a while. I mean, it's been a long time developing. And um, I didn't always want to tell this story, but as I got older, I was like, okay, I think I have the wherewithal to do it. And also the markets changed where something like this was a little bit more acceptable. Um, Believe it or not, I would not categorize the story as of yet to, you know, I joke around saying that like, oh yeah, I'm a smut peddler, but it's actually not that. Um, I'm a huge sci-fi nerd, so it's actually more of my love song to science fiction. And um, just framed within this kind of, uh, you know, bad girl way. And I'd always wanted to tell a story um, that was from the villain's perspective that was completely unapologetic. A lot of times stories end up turning the villains into anti-heroes or like, oh, they end up being a good thing at the end of the day. But um, I I was like, well, what about, what about the villain that literally just nothing ever, they, their perspective doesn't necessarily change. They think that what they're doing is right and therefore, why would they deviate from that? So like the moral code is different. And so um, anyhow, I had no idea how, the, how uh, readers or my audience was going to respond to it. So I offered it up for free chapter by chapter each month for a year. And then as my audience grew, I decided, okay, I'm going to throw it into a Kickstarter. And I, because it's illustrated prose, it's not necessarily a pure comic. I mean, you definitely get comic book length worth of artwork in it but a lot of it is uh, written word. And so I had no idea how that was going to do with my audience. And obviously they responded very well to it. So I'm very, very happy about that. Like you mentioned that maybe at another time, people might not be open towards uh, a story like this. You know, what do you feel like changed? Well, I mean, it's, um, well, for one, I definitely, and I talk about this pretty openly, I thought when I was first going to do this story, I was like, well, this will be an easy sell for guys because it's a hot blonde in a you know pseudo-dominatrix outfit, and who doesn't love that? <laughs> um, but I actually thought it was going to be a harder sell for women, and what I found was 
the way that I wrote Carnal, um, I kind of turned her accidentally into a female power fantasy. And so uh, the industry as a whole is much more female friendly now than it was when I first started this industry in 2007. And I mean, I was, you know, I was like 20 years old and didn't know anything. But um, so the the industry as a whole is more female friendly. I mean, there's room to improve, but we are definitely more friendly now. And um, I think women are hungry for something like that. And this is kind of a this is kind of a perspective that um, I wouldn't say it hasn't ever been told before. I just think the nature in which I'm telling it hasn't been told before. So I think that culturally uh, women are a little bit more empowered to enjoy the things they want to enjoy unapologetically. And then um, also sex is less of a taboo now. So having a character named Carnal Sin, it's like, <laughs> obviously there's going to be some, some, you know, at the very least sexual innuendo in there. So <laughs> I, think, I think people are much more open to it now. And plus, Oh, I, I do have to say, I mean, things like, cause obviously there's definitely like a, a bit of a kink bondage theme to her and that's going to come into play much, you know, uh, much stronger in the next arc. But, um, uh, you know, there, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm resting on the shoulder or I'm standing on the shoulders of the people who came before me. So including like the Sajiks and their Sunstone over at Top Cow and, um, even, you know, the, the, um, I don't want to be insulting, but the less than accurate 50 shades that 50 shades of gray, um, <laughs> so I try not, to, I try not to be disparaging. So, but yeah, so I think that the, the, the atmosphere has changed for this. You know, this character, this story, how do you feel like it's uh, empowering to women? Why did uh, the women kind of get attracted to the story? Um, well, for one is that I definitely made it so that she, um, I mean, in the little trailer video that I do thing, it's, it's, it's pretty accurate. She is, she is, a boss bitch lady and she doesn't care and, and uh she she makes really kind of um normally if if men were to make those decisions <laughs> be it in real life or entertainment then it's not seen as something egregious but because it's a woman doing all of a sudden it's scandalous and so she doesn't give a shit she has no shame in her physical form she doesn't have any shame in the power that she wants and craves she has no shames in her sexual appetites or or anything. And so all I feel that a lot of women have, we've constantly had to bite our tongue or we've had to demur to sometime in our life. We've had to deal with that kind of, or expectation to that, even if we didn't do it or wanted to do it. And so to have a woman who just absolutely will not do that because she has her agenda and she's going to fulfill her agenda and, and you know, to hell with the consequences that is, um, and not to mention, I mean, she is powerful. So, I mean, she literally could kill somebody. So it's, it's, <laughs> and she has no qualms about doing that. There's no struggle. There's no internal struggle for her to go like, oh, should I kill this person? She's like, no, fuck you. I'm going to kill you and be done with it. <laughs> so I think just the, the shamelessness, quote unquote, in the context of our reality where women are still in a way expected to be a bit more demure, a bit more, you know, quote unquote, uh, the, the, the fair sex as it were, it's, it's an, it's a it's a power fantasy, kind of like how the Hulk serves as the ultimate male power fantasy, right? Where he can just rage the f out, and it's right. like, and that's what's like really satisfying about him. Even though, yes, we all know it's not necessarily right. Like he shouldn't be destroying everything, but at the same time, it feels good. <laughs> right, right. <Yeah. laughs> with you know, with a 
story like uh, Carnal Confessions, you know, how do you feel like you're sort of fitting into the this progressing world where more women are being a part of being comic book artists, conf- um, authors, editors? You know, where do you want this to progress? Well, I mean, I I personally don't necessarily have a quote unquote female agenda. Like I said, Car- Carnal was kind of an accident <laughs> in the sense that that was. I just happened to write it that way and I didn't even think about it. It wasn't until my beta readers actually started talking to me about how, you know, it was coming off to them. And I was like, oh, oops. Like it, I, I, I wanted to tell the story that I wanted to tell, which was an interesting and fun story. And, um, you know, something that, you know, internalized uh, social mores that I, like I said, that I've personally dealt with. And so I thought it'd be fun to write about it you know, on a broader scope of things, um, it's actually funny. I have a lot of young female fans because I've done some, uh, work with the amazing Jeremy Whitley on Princeless and Raven the Pirate Princess. And, um, but like, um, so this is definitely not geared towards the, the young ones. (laughs) Definitely geared towards the adult readers. You know, it's like, I was telling my best friend who's my, um, section, my editor, JT seems, and I said, you know, you're my target audience and she's my age. So, <coughs> excuse me. And so um, I think that, I think, I'm hoping that as as a heavily female-led book, which again was completely accidental, um, uh, because I'm, I'm a woman, Kate Colors is a woman, uh, JT Seems is a woman, obviously, and Ghost Clip is actually having a woman, she's, she's going to be the one who's going to be formatting this. Um, I, I'm really hoping that it normalizes. I've never, I, I don't want necessarily, how do I word this? I don't necessarily want it to be an agenda driven thing, but if something were to come out of it, then it's like, oh, women can talk about sex too. And it's totally fine. And we don't have to hyper explain ourselves or, or anything like there's, there's, there's no reason for us to explain. We can just express if that makes any sense. <laughs> no, it totally does. The story behind how this kind of came about, like you saying it's basically just something you worked on, but it was like an accident that it kind of kind of flourished. That is basically, you know, normalizing it, that there wasn't any sort of big agenda that you had in your head. It was just a story you wanted to tell, and it happened. What, um, when it comes to this, uh, this character... She's a villain, and as it says on your Kickstarter, no apologies, no shame, no mercy. You know, this is her story. You know, how do you feel like this, is there any, any ways that this character sort of is parallel to anything in real life, in real society right now? Um, I mean, God, that's a good question. <laughs> um, <coughs> excuse me. Well, um, I would argue that women as a whole sociologically have been bearing their teeth more. I wouldn't necessarily call them villainous and, um, but they have been bearing their teeth more, uh, like I said, so socially, politically, creatively. And so I guess you can make that parallel, but really, I, again, I, I literally, I remember some, I, you know, I won't drop names or anything, but I had, I had an editor ask me years ago, you know, like literally I was 21 and what is the story that you want to tell? 
And I said, I want to tell the story of a villain, like uh, about the villains unapologetically, blah, 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 blah. And so that was, you know, over a decade ago. So I don't know if this is necessarily something that's paralleling right now or like inspired by, it's just something that I decided that I think, you know, there's, everybody has such a love affair with villains, myself included. You know, some of my favorite villains, or some of my favorite characters are technically villains, especially in the, you know, Gotham uh, Batman universe. So like, um, and I, and most of the fans that I've talked to, they, they've shared that same sentiment with me. Like they love diving into what makes that person tick and why are they this way and blah, 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 blah. So I figured that this, this was, um, this was a risk worth taking to see whether or not it would pan out and work. Yeah, extending on that, uh, why do you feel like people love a villain and why do, why does everybody want to sort of dive in more into the head of what a villain is and how did that contribute to making this character carnal? Well, um, I'm a psych, I'm, I have a degree in psychology, so definitely right up my alley for this. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I can say from a personal experience as to why I got into psychology to begin with was because, um, I actually, I came from a not ideal background in terms of my home life. And so when I was very young, I, I desperately wanted to understand why thing that you know stuff was happening in my family and so that's how I got interested in psychology and I studied it you know avidly from the age of basically 11 on and um I think there's an inherent desire for people to understand how other people tick and when people are quote-unquote abnormal then it's they become more fascinating it's why people are fascinated with you know serial killers and why true crimes or, you know, true crime documentaries and things like that are so uh, intriguing because you're like, you know, what was it that made them mess or that messed them up so bad that, that they are, that they are this vehemently against the norm. Cause we're all, I think all of us are against the norm in our own ways and small ways, yeah. <laughs> but we're not, we're not like off the deep end. You know, you look at that new trailer for the Joker movie and everyone's intrigued going, okay, okay obviously they got like a Norman Bates thing going on, like what's happening. And that's, what's intriguing is because we all need an explanation. Humans, humans all suffer from a desire to categorize and, and, um, so in psychology, there's a thing called schemas. And when you don't know what something is, you desperately try to fit it into a box that you know exists. So if right. you've never seen a bear, but you see a giant dog, you might, um, I'm sorry, but you've seen big dogs, you might look at a bear and say, oh my God, that's a big dog, instead of thinking it's a bear because you don't know any better. So to understand, you know, um, the, the, the psychotic, to understand the, uh, the abnormal would... You know, it, 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 it gives a sense of comfort to us to be able to say, okay, we can box that up. We know what it is. We know it causes that. And I think that's people's fascination with villains. Plus, I personally believe just on a creative level and a fan level is that uh, villains tend to be more interesting for me because they are able to walk the moral line as they see fit, whereas a hero is forced to stick on that line to maintain being a hero. Kind of going back... Um... You know, what kind of a kid were you and when did you first start getting into, you know, wanting to be a creative person? Um, hmm. well, I've always, I had an older sister and an older brother and my sister was definitely very creative. Um, my mother was also a, uh, an artist. So in terms of storytelling, it was, uh, it started pretty young, just on a vague level. Um, 
on a on a more in depth level, I actually was a um, I was a tabletop role player and then a live action role player when I was like 12, 13, 14, somewhere around there. Well, in that age range, and so and I also played text based RPGs. So I was constantly writing characters and telling stories and playing video games where I would tell stories in the video games. Uh, professionally, I it didn't really start until I. Um, initially when I got into comics, it was because I was playing a video game that was based on superheroes. And then, um, I happened to stumble across the Top Cow website because Top Cow was publishing the City Heroes, um, uh, uh, comic book at the time. And I think David Nakayama was doing covers for, it. I don't remember. Um, I could be wrong about that, but anyhow, I didn't know anything about comics beyond. I knew the X-Men I'd watched the cartoons and I had read some comic books when I was much younger, but I had drifted away from it and turned more into a gamer. And then I got back into comic books when I was about 18 years old. And then, um, and I was like, Oh my God, I want to be able to draw like this. I saw, I saw artwork from uh, Michael Turner and Mark Silvestri. And I was like, Holy crap, this is amazing. Um, and then I and then uh, I, I just thought I wanted to draw comics for a long time until I had my first mentor, Bob Layton. And, you know, he taught me a million things. And one of the things that he taught me is that as an artist, we are a slave to the story. And mm. so that really put the sense of storytelling on a higher pedestal for me. That was very there was very much drilled into me that that storytelling and telling stories is what this medium is about. It's not just about pretty artwork. It's not just about, you know, the pinups and whatever, whatever. So there has to be good, juicy content attached to, to whatever artwork that you have. And I think, so I was probably about 20 years old when I was like, okay, I really want to take this onto the next level. Yeah, you mentioned about uh, having a mentor and that's been a big, uh, that's been something I've been very interested in that topic recently. What do you, what do you think makes a good mentor uh, for you? Um... Huh, that's a that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Um, well, I mean, I was very much. I think I'm like I think I was one of the last, maybe not the last, but one of the last people to have a traditional comic book mentor apprentice relationship. Um, in the sense that it's not really done that way anymore, as far as I know. I don't know. I've not heard of anybody really even having art assistants anymore, not unless they're working in a studio and they happen to have somebody there as their assistant. But um, one, nobody really works in studios anymore. Everyone works from home. So uh, it, yeah, it used, it used to be the norm that you would pass on your knowledge to somebody you know, who had the skills that you were developing and you would introduce them to people that, you know, that was the payoff. You got a little bit of money and you got all this, all this teaching, you would help them save time. And then they would, they would use their vast network of professional establishment to, to introduce you to editors and to publishers and blah, blah, blah. And that's how it used to be done and how a lot of my initial network was done. But, um, so, so now not, I guess not so much because the internet has completely changed the, the, the scope of the industry. Um, I mean, we got, we have amazing artists, you know, in freaking Singapore who've never, you know, left their house who are like, you know, huge, big name artists now and, and writers. So I think for me at this, at this point, um, not only did I get a lot of art guidance, 
as I was younger, but I also got a lot of business guidance because my mentors were all publishers, which was awesome actually. And they were all previous editors as well, as, as, as well as being artists. So I think I'd still want more of, if I were to have a mentor right now, I would still want more of a business side, um, of a business side men mentorship than anything else. Because, you know, it's one thing I tell young, young women who come up to me at cons and they talk to me like, I really want to be an artist. What do I do? And I tell them, I said, listen, you will always become a better artist if you just keep drawing every day, no matter what you will, you will force yourself into improvement. You can find all the tips and tricks and whatever with tutorials, either for free or with a Patreon online. I'm like, you have access to that kind of skill development. Now, what you really need to take are business courses. I, so I tell them, I was like, when you go to college, take business, take marketing, learn how to market yourself, learn how to run a business because you are running yourself as a business. So that's what I would recommend as being a really good mentor, I guess. Yeah. Extending upon that, you know, right now, as we do this interview, you have over 500 backers for your Kickstarter and it's, you know, it's gone super well. How do you feel like you were able to, you know, garner this sort of uh, community for your, for your work? Um, I'm still floored, honestly. Like I was, we were at C, my manager and I were at C2E2, you know, days before we launched this Kickstarter and Everyone kept asking us, oh, are you excited? And we were like, well, we're nervous. And I was like, I have no idea how this is going to go. I thought, okay, I think I'm, I'm, I'm confident that I can raise, you know, the initial $5,000 just to publish the damn thing. I was like, that, that doesn't seem crazy to me. And I was like, anything beyond that, I have no idea. So to be at, I think we're at, what, 42 now, almost at 43. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to be at $42,000 is a little, uh, it's, it's overwhelming because I wasn't, ex I just, I genuinely wasn't expecting it. Like, I mean, I have friends who are sitting there, oh, you'll make, you know, blah, blah, blah. You'll blow past this. And I'm just like, yeah, okay. You have no idea. Cause as I said earlier, I mean, this whole format was a gamble for me. I thought people might balk at the idea that this was, you know, mostly prose with artwork interspersed into it, but people seem to be very gung ho about it. And, um, uh, I mean, we didn't, we didn't fly blindly into the night. Uh, we definitely, uh, consulted with some of the great Kickstarter and um, uh, Kickstarter uh, campaigns and companies, including the amazing and wonderful Brian Polito of Lady Death and Coffin Comics. I mean, he's like you know the king of kings on that one. So <laughs> he's been in, him and Fran have been incredibly helpful. And and um, same with uh, my buddy Ron Zavala over at Patriotica and um, uh, Jamie Tyndall with White Widow. So what's really great is that the community seems to be very uh, supportive with one another in terms of the, on the creative side of things. So we've all been like, we're all contributing to each other and it's been really great. So in terms of garnering this kind of attention on the campaign, I, I, I don't know. I mean, other than um, I pushed it over at Emerald City Comic Con and, and uh, C2E2, this, uh, you know, the two weekends before the launch. But, I mean, I only have 3,000-something-odd friends on Facebook, and I have, you know, over 5,000 followers on my art page, which sounds like a lot, but you look at some of these other people, and it's not. Like, I mean, right? Um, you know, I mean, I have some of my artist friends have, you know, 18, 25-plus thousand followers, and I'm like, I don't have that. So, um, I, I like to think that it's because it's a cool concept. <laughs> It's not been, it's not really been it's not really been done or championed before. I have no idea. Um, 
I, I honestly couldn't tell you other than uh, I have an amazing apparatus of creative friends who they all shared it and, you know, they contributed their artwork, they contributed their, their expertise and then they shared across their network and that really has helped a lot. So that's all I, that's all I could think of. Yeah. There, there is a new thing, kind of a new concept uh, that's been coming out lately where, where you mentioned that you, you know, you only have like a few thousand followers on your social medias. There's a lot, there's been this idea that there's people who have like tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands, but they don't really have any influence uh, with their, uh, their social media where you had these people who have only like a few thousand, but they know everybody that follows them are like sort of diehard people right. and they're like called like micro influencers. So it sounds like, you know, everything you've been saying with, you know, when you put out this story, you know, for free people, you know, kind of gravitated towards it. And they came over for the Kickstarter. Is, how do you feel? Is there is there a, a way that you've been able to? Do you feel like connect personally with your audience? Audience that maybe lend its way, uh, itself to the success of this whole journey with this story. Well, I mean, on a on a on a basic level, there is you know there's there's the there's the marketing side of an artist, of a creator. And um, I, I listen to my, I, I, I can't necessarily call them mentors because I'm not in a actual mentoring relationship with them, but I, I, I do like to listen to people who come before me. And so there are certain things, for example, like um, I have, I, I personally for, have no problem with nudity on a book, for, for example, or nudity in a book. And there is nudity in this book. Yeah. Um, but, uh, one thing that, um, J Scott Campbell, who's, who's awesome on um, everyone knows who he is. Uh, I, you know, we were at a dinner one time and we were discussing work, you know, just business in general. And he, you know, he threw out, threw out the line about, you know, you got to keep things PG 13 because if you keep things PG 13, then everything is, you're going to have a broader audience. So, uh, most people tend to not really care about in context nudity when you're in the book or story itself or even sex, for example. But um, some people do balk at, you know, quote unquote, the nudity covers kind of thing. I, again, I personally don't care and I love drawing nudity and would have no problem doing it. But it's like, you know, it's the marketability aspect of it for me and and for what I want to do. And um, and so there there's there's things like that. And then there's also. um there's also, uh, oh, what was the other thing that they said? Oh man, I'm totally blanking on the second one. And it was from Brian nonetheless. Anyways, but yeah, <laughs> so th th there's just, there's certain, there's certain parts of my, how I'm approaching it. So, so, uh, fans will come up to me a lot of times and they'll say, I love the way that you draw sexy women because you draw them. They don't look gross quote unquote. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And, and they expand on that. And these are coming from women and they're coming from men and gay men and whatever is that, um, sexuality doesn't have to be pornographic. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not saying that. And, and, and by no means am I saying like, I, I will actually use lady death as an example of where sexuality is not pornographic and where sexuality is part of the character and it works very, very well for her and it's empowering and sexy and wonderful. Um, but there are, there is a certain style of sexiness where it, it lends, it's a, it lends away from sensuality into, you know, kind of porn and which is fine to each their own. It's just that that's not marketable across the board. That's not, that's not keeping things open to everybody. Right. So men can like, 
you know, straight men can like a sensual figure and so can, so can women, gay or gay or otherwise. Women can both like that as well. Whereas if it's porn, pornographic, culturally, I feel like a lot of times um, the general swath of women are going to be a little turned off to it just because it's like, oh, it's a little too, it's a little too, uh, um, what's the word, crass or, or uh, blunt. <laughs> it's not insinuating. I don't know. So I think, I think keeping things accessible has helped. And I try to keep myself, I try to respond to everybody. Um is my rule of thumb, like on social media, I don't always get to it, but like even on like my birthday, you know how you get hundreds of birthday wishes. I I just I couldn't do it this year because I was driving home from Chicago. But every year, I even I try to literally respond to every single person just because um, I have no idea what I could potentially mean to somebody. Right. And so I want to make sure that I always have my best face forward. So uh, Jim Steranko told my mentor, who told me years ago. You know, you need to dress well at a con. Always look like you're successful, even if you're not, because nobody wants to go to a convention to see their hero dressed as a schlub <laughs> so, and, like, not succeeding because they idolize you. And I'm like, I'm not saying that I'm somebody to be idolized. I'm saying I have no idea if somebody does. Therefore, um, it's kind of like I used to – and this is – I don't know if this is going to be funny. This is funny to some people. I used to be a cheerleader back in the day <laughs> when I was in high school. So um, I was captain. And so like, I remember my, my coach was from Texas and she was like, you are a representative of this school. And that means at all times you have to be smiling. I don't care if you're depressed. I don't care if you're PMSing. You have to have a smile on your face 100% of the time, no matter what. On campus, off campus, in civilian clothes or otherwise, you are now a, a representation. And I was like, okay, that's a little insane. But it's kind of like that. <laughs> where it's, it's um, I don't know how, I mean, yes, we're human, but I have no idea how I'm coming off to somebody else. And I want to make sure that I'm at least making an effort to come off well. And I think that's garnered a decent amount of, um, of a positive association with me, I guess. Same goes with my social media posts where it's like, I tried, I really avoid talking about really negative things. Um, and if I do discuss something that's quote unquote negative, I try to put a positive spin on it. Um, just because I, I genuinely believe that there's enough negativity in the world and we don't need to be, we don't need to be contributing to that. I don't need to be contributing to that. So somebody else can take, can take that burden, not me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is there, um, is there anything else that, you know, outside of carnal conventions that you're uh, working on or have worked on recently that, you know, have seen the light of day recently? <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Well, um, I wasn't on this lady death campaign. I don't think it's a possibly in one of the interiors, but, um, I have done, um, recently, uh, was it Hellwitch came out relatively recently through Coffin Comics. Also, I'm, um, a current series that's being published by Action Lab, uh, called The Null Fairies, written by Chad Ciccone. Ciccone? Ciccone? I never know. I think it is Ciccone. I think he corrected me, but that's, like, the proper way to say it. Um, but Chad Ciccone's, uh, written it and drawn it, and I did the variant, the, the B covers for the, for the books, and there's six issues, there's gonna be six issues in this first run, and uh, the whole thing was like, depending on how it went, they were going to do more. So it looks like it's doing well. So that's exciting. But that's, I think we're, issue three is coming out this month. Maybe, hmm, today's like the fifth. It might have already come out. It might be next next week. I'm not sure. But the third issue is coming out. So that'll be out. Um, and there's another Kickstarter that's going to be launching on April, I think the 18th. 
But that sometime around that area, like plus or minus two days, during International Princess Week, I did all the character art for a card game called Charmed and Dangerous. Okay. It's all these empowered, um, all these empowered uh, fairy tale princesses where they get it's a co- uh, cooperative game and you get to battle all the vi- evil villains and whatever, whatever. But uh, that one is. Uh, I think that one's going to do really, really well. It's it's by Third World Studios, and my David or my friend David uh, Rodriguez approached me about it to start on a couple years ago. All the colors are by Sanju and even Gune. I have no idea, Sanju, if I said your name wrong just then. Please don't hate me. Um, and um, no, so so that's coming out, and then I think for now that my oh no, and then I'm currently I don't know when it's actually going to come out, but I'm currently doing page work for Action Lab Entertainment. Uh, with the writer David Schechter for a book called The Righteous Knight, so which is a fun comedy, uh, fish out of water story. So, um, and I think that's all that's currently slated. <laughs> so I'm busy. Right, right. Sounds like you're busy. Got a su- successful uh, Kickstarter. A lot of a lot of other uh, projects in the works. Sounds good. Gotta always be hustling. You know, it's crazy. You actually sound like my writer friend, David Schechter. It's kind of freaking me out, actually. <laughs> I'm going to have him listen to this just so I can be like, you sound like this dude. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. This this might be like, this might be my, I just woke up a little bit voice, but it's a little, <laughs> it might be a little deeper than reason, uh, re- like regularly, but yeah. <laughs> but, um, okay. If there was somebody listening to this podcast that's, isn't really into comic books or even if they are in the comic books, like what sort of nugget of knowledge about your life or career could anybody listening to this uh, interview sort of take from your life or career and sort of uh, project it into their own? Well, um, I started this comics when I was, I started in the comics when I was pretty young. I was 20 and then I took my opportunities for granted. I was young. I didn't understand. Like, I just didn't. I was just, you know, I always say I was a 22-year-old fucktard is always usually what I end up saying. Um, And then I left comics, and I didn't come back until 2016. I was still in my 20s, but I was like 29, I think. And that's when I started to take my career seriously. So I had taken a pretty long, like a five-year break from working professionally, and then I came back. Um, with a massive life change, I'd gone through a divorce and, um, and that, that it it gave me the fuel to, to really prove to myself that I could do this and do this the right way as an, as a proper adult, as somebody who understood and appreciated the industry, appreciated the medium and appreciated the, you know, the adult responsibilities as it were. So I think ultimately it's it's never too late to to change gears. It's never too late to pursue, um, but you have to take it seriously. You can't half-ass it. You got to really go for it. Take the risk. Good, good. That's you me- you mentioned, and I don't really want to you know get into your personal life or anything, sure. but you know you know mentioned that you went back into all of this after divorce, and I've me- I've I've noticed a lot of times that after um, a woman will get out of a relationship or get out of divorce or get out of a hard relationship, they will go like, you know, balls deep into a project, something to change their life. You know, from a woman's perspective, you know, why is that? Why, why does a woman need to do that? Well, I can't speak for all women, but I know that for a lot of my friends who've, who've gone through divorces and, and obviously including myself is that 
we end up we end up marrying for the wrong reasons or the wrong guy or woman for that matter. And um, usually in my experience, again, that's it's anecdotal is that those relationships end up being very controlling. And you, we feel that, that um, you know, our, our, pers- our personal wants and desires are sacrificed for theirs. And so when we get out of those relationships, it's it's a it's a call to arms. It's kind of like okay, well now it's just me, and now I can sh- now I can prove to myself that those complaints that I had during that relationship that I was being stifled or oppressed or or controlled wasn't just me running my mouth. I'm going to prove that I can actually do it. And had this person been supportive, they could have been along the ride uh, along the ride uh, uh, along the ride with me. So for me, it was definitely because my my ex husband was never supportive of my art career ever. Um, or, or creatively, he he definitely wanted me to quote unquote be normal, and so uh, I so when I got out of that, I was I was hell bent on saying you know little middle finger and I can do this and I don't need you to to, to help me to do this. So I think it uh, I think um, anytime somebody goes through any kind of a breakup, focusing on work is actually a really great outlet for that kind of energy that you have because it's it's a it's an antsy kind of um anxious angry scared almost energy because you know whatever was the comfort zone that you were in previous in that relationship is no longer there so now you have all this pent-up energy and you have you know nowhere to direct it so it's, it's good to focus it on work i think and i think that's probably why a lot of women end up doing that my ass included <laughs> and i know uh carnal confessions isn't necessarily geared towards uh, a younger audience but just your work in general what do you hope a younger you know female audience gets out of just you know what you're doing in general well actually i mean i don't see why it, i mean it's it's adult themed obviously there are adult themes but um as it stands right now this particular arc is not terribly you know quote unquote graphic it's not like it's 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 not like it's an actual romance novel or anything along those lines, right? Um, so, although you know, there's definitely flowery language, but um, you know, there there was a discussion that I was having on um, a friend's wall on Facebook months ago that was talking about, for example, uh, gay characters and how gay characters are portrayed in media. And I said, and um, I'm a bisexual woman, and I said, okay, well, what if I was like, I, I don't think that we should shy away from having these uh, minority characters as being the broad, you know, having this broad range of, of um, character traits. So, yes, you can have the hero or you can have the villain or you can have the the coward or you can have like, you know, the badass soldier like it shouldn't just be all positive. And then there was an argument given to me and I and I understand the perspective, too. It's sticky is that, well, you know, uh, minorities or these oppressed people have been, have been represented as being negative for so long in our media that now we have to like swing the pendulum the other way. And I think I, I don't necessarily like the pendulum swinging. I think that we should break the pendulum off and just say, we can have everything. Like we could have it all, not to quote Adele, but we could. And, and so with this, it's like, okay, well, here is a, here's a, you know, carnal is a woman. She is everything that a woman can be and could be and maybe shouldn't be but she's got a a wide breadth of range and that allows for not only is there you know a truly 
uh, a truly good hero, you know, Wonder Woman and Captain Marvels and things like that. Okay, well, now guess what? Now a woman can actually be evil and not looking for redemption. You know, there can, um, it's like how, almost like how Harlequin used to be in the sense that like she was, she was messed up and deranged and she wasn't necessarily doing it for any, or for, for any kind of redemption purposes, right? She had her own selfish reasons. And I think that uh, it's okay for women to be selfish. And if young women want to look at this and they say, we can have a broad range of expression. We can have everything. We don't have to be just Wonder Woman or just Batgirl or just Jean Grey or whatever, right? Like, it's like, you can have, you can, you are allowed to express yourself and like the range of people. I feel like I'm babbling. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. No, it's, you know, it's a lot of good stuff that you said. I always like to uh, to end my uh, interviews with the same question, and I give it to you ahead of time to think about. Yeah. Um, who is somebody that's been a part of your life or career that I could realistically interview for this podcast that would have some good stories or lessons to talk about? Vince Hernandez, editor-in-chief of Aspen Comics, and um, he is a very, very dear friend of mine. I've known him since almost the beginning of my career. Um and uh, I think I think the first time I talked to him was 2008, and we were on MySpace. Like that's how old it was. <laughs> um, and um, and then I actually ended up moving out to LA for unrelated reasons, and actually got to meet him, and we used to hang out. He's really great. He's very freaking accomplished. He's now also writing the new Zombie Tramp for Action Lab, and uh, he's gonna be uh, he's writing uh, Fathom now the you know lead book for for aspen comics and um but just he's a really great guy very honest very upfront um i i admire him i've listened to him give me advice constantly and uh he'd be somebody that i think would be worthwhile for you to interview because he's an editor and a writer so it's like he's got you know he's running people's books but also running his own books creatively so there's a business side and a and a creative side to it and I think that'd be worthwhile for your listeners and um he will be launching his own kickstarter for his own book Syria Underworld Pimp Hustla in June I believe I think it's June I want to say June like June 18th I think that is because it's his birthday so awesome awesome that was uh yeah good good recommendation um before we get out of here do you want to um say any more information about the kickstarter that's currently going um, no, I mean, if you're going to have links or whatever, but if you go to www.carnal, spelled with a K, uh, confessions.com, uh, it'll link to the Kickstarter as well. Please pledge. There's a lot of more goodies coming around and I can't wait to dive into the next arc, which I will be publishing in the same format. Uh, the first few, you know, the first chunk of that book will be free online at carnalconfessions.com um but i won't be releasing it until after fulfillment of this kickstarter because i don't want to spoil the story for people <laughs> all right and then uh, where can people uh, go online to to follow what you're up to um if you go to my website sorasum.com um and i'm sure you'll have links or whatever on your thingy uh sorasum.com or if you go to at any of the social media i'm just at sorasum so that was my interview with sorasum Links to where you can follow Sora Song and the Kickstarter for Carnal Confessions are in the show notes for this episode at freshofthepodcast.com. Another episode in the books. Thank you for listening. Like always, goodbye and good night.
Fresh, 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 fresh